Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello? Look, I'm going to level with you. I have my own things to deal with. After all, we are about to crap a lovely landing. The Orphans, an original cinematic audio drama, is now available. And now, The Orphans Facility, an exciting new prequel series. Catch up with Season 1 with new episodes of Facility coming bi-weekly. The following episode of Flame On is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geeky programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Flame On. I am Brian, your talking bearish sea captain figure here. Although I am joined today by another lovely bearded gentleman, uh, less sea captain-y, I would say, only because you don't have the hat, I think. Otherwise, I think you could be a great sea captain. Thank you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm definitely a landlubber. Um, and I, I should have had a hat because I've, I've now, I have my COVID beard, and now I have my COVID hair, which is growing out. You can see the kind of balding pattern. Yes, yes. Kind of it's, like a, it's like your demon horns almost are growing in. You know, you're getting the... Literally, one of my students said, look, there's there's like a cloven hoof on, on your head, which I, I was like, should I fail this student or give him an A? No, absolutely. <laughs> no, no. Give him an a. So uh, for those of you who do not know, because you don't know for whatever reason, this is Justin Hall. Justin Hall is a queer comics cartoonist legend uh, and excellent academic and historian of all things comics, but also focusing on queer comics. Justin, it has been so long since I've known about you, and because I've never, we've our paths have never intertwined. I am so happy to sit down with you today to talk about queer comics. It's such a pleasure and honor. I I, I love your work, and I'm so excited that uh, Cena Grace hooked us up and uh, ready to go here for sure. Oh, speaking of Cena, first question right off the bat: <laughs> Are we going to talk dish about Cena Grace? Is that be honest? <laughs> did he pattern this off of you? Because the more I look at it. Oh my goodness gracious! It's Bear from uh, Burn the Orphanage, and uh, I saw this the other day, and I looked back. And I'm like, wait a minute! 
I would I would love that. I kind of doubt it, but I would love that would be that would make me super happy. I'm gonna just pretend. I'm just gonna assume now. Let's that. just call it head cannon at this point. We're, we're gonna go with it. <laughs> Let's so, start with so I want to start with probably the work that most people would know you from, which is a more recent piece, but it's it's very comprehensive and and it both captures queer comics history and also your some of your own work. Um, and I have a physical copy because I think I did the Kickstarter. I must have done the Kickstarter because I don't think. Oh no, actually, I, I was there a Kickstarter for this? No, there was. No, not. that's Fan Graphics. So there's a Kickstarter for the Theater of Terror one of this last one. Oh yes, yes, you no, know, and I have a I have a digital copy of them. But yes, yeah, okay. so so no straight lines for Fan Graphics. Yeah. Um, this, I, I mean, I don't know that this is what you want to be known for, or or this is like your magnum opus. But but damn, this is really impressive, and it, it could do a lot worse. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, it it it, it is definitely like you know I'm still slogging away at my own graphic novels and such, and um, but. You know, in a lot of ways, I think um, No Straight Lines will be sort of what, I don't know. It's At this point, it's probably my, it's what, definitely what I'm known for the most. Um, it actually was a sort of uh, IP that I started as a museum show in San Francisco, uh, Cartoon Art Museum. In 2006, we did a museum show called No Straight Lines, The World of Queer Comics. Uh, and it was the first uh, museum show of that kind of material ever done. And then... Um, we wanted to do a, a catalog of the show and, and the funding fell through, but it was, so the idea of a book was kind of rattling around in my head. And then 2012, 13, um, I came out, I did a bunch of research, extra research and, um, came out with a book. Um, so that, and it's been in print ever since, which I think it's like in the fourth printer or something. And now I've also been working on a documentary film, a feature length documentary film, no straight lines, which we're at the very, we're actually in post-production now. Oh, I'm um, so excited. When I read yeah. about this, I was just like, this is epic. This is going to be so fantastic. And I'm, I'm so, and so many projects like this fits and starts, you know, I, I know how the, how it goes. Uh, I'm still waiting on a couple documentaries that I actually backed in Kickstarter or something. And there, <laughs> God knows what's happening, but yeah. But yeah so, yeah. so that's awesome. I actually had a question on here. I wanted to know is the documentary forthcoming probably 2021 you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, uh, we were supposed to really be out by the end of this year, but COVID COVID. So um, uh, everything's up in the air in the film industry. Um, we were, you know, kind of slated to try to get it into the film festival circuit by the end of this year, and that's obviously not going to happen. So we're now, you know, we're still like raising some uh, the final funds to finish up, you know, color and sound corrections, get the music done, final edits, um, uh, and then try to figure out how to release it. You know, whether it's going to be a streaming platform like I don't know Netflix or something like that, or if we if we try to go through the the uh, remaining uh, film festival circuit that still exists online, but you know, we, it's, it's going to be a, we'll figure it out, but it's, it's probably, but I would imagine next year. Um, okay. well, so. I mean, as soon as that's ready and it's ready to come out on whatever platform, I, I will trumpet the world to let people know, because this book, I, again, I have had this for a while. I had flipped through it before, but I don't think I had actually read it cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's really not the kind of book it's, it's coffee table type anthology series. Sure. You don't have to read it cover to cover. A lot of a lot of great comics history in this, and and your work in there as well, which I want to talk about. But specifically, first your editing work. Mm -hmm. I mean, editing is not a, the best title, right? I mean, you 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 is a labor of love. You put this together. You did all the research. You did all the you, you collected it all, it's, yeah. and then you edited it. So it's like yeah. you know that's like the, the 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 thing at the end. But but your 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 text in here, the the piece you've written for the introduction. Mm -hmm. And I love that it has citations too. I, every time I see citations and end notes, I'm just like, oh, it drills the little graduate researcher in me. But but right. it's fantastic. It's a great, yeah, it's a great, if you don't know queer comics 
from anything, this is a great place to start because you're very comprehensive. I love that you, because, you know, sometimes queer comics gets focused on uh, gay comics from uh, a kitchen sink. But you really go back further than that and you talk about the early lesbian comics and then how it kind of evolved into that. I mean, you're, you cover, you know, European gay comics in here. Like, it's really good and comprehensive. I was impressed. I mean, I love it. Thank you. I, I, it was, I mean, I'm definitely a, you know, I'm an academic as well and a research geek. So, uh, and for me, it was just incredibly fun to, I mean, at, at the time when I was putting it together, I was the talent relations guy at, at PRISM, um, which is, you know, this nonprofit supporting LGBTQ uh, uh, comics, fans, creators. Um, and uh, so I was, you know, uh, running a bunch of panels and stuff at different conventions and kind of meeting all these different people. So, um, uh, and then I, you know, put together the museum show. So at that point, I, it's, it is a small enough world, especially during that time. Um, now it's like exploded out laterally in such an amazing ways, which is- the diaspora, you know, it's, it's, it's fabulous. Everybody's off in their own direction, but we're all in the same fleet. It's great. It's wonderful. And it's so gratifying. I mean, but I was just talking to Jennifer Camper about this uh, because there was, there was a day when you know, most of the queer cartoonists kind of knew each other, right? It was a small enough scene that we all kind of like knew each other. And um, uh, that's impossible now, but it was, but that allowed me to really dig for the history. And I, you know, and go to places like, um, so I would go to like Glass Gasp, which is the underground comics publisher and distributor here in San Francisco and go through their like, all, they have these, just like this labyrinth of, of um, shelving, you know, and like dig through these old underground comics from the seventies and, you know, uh, you know, covered in cobwebs, you know, and I'd find some like amazing queer comic that, you know, d- I, you know, I hadn't heard of before, uh, you know, underground feminist lesbian comic or um, it's, so it's really, um, uh, there was more, a lot more depth to the, the history than I expected. Um, and that was, it was continually surprising to me as I did, as I did my research. Um, so that was really exciting. And then, um, uh, you know, of course, after the book is done and now I kind of look back at it, I see even more things that I, I should have put in. And I mean, well, it was one of those. <laughs> so that's one thing. Uh, and, and I mean, this is, I mean, every project, every creator, anyone ever who is slaved over something you know, at the end, they go, I could have done so much more. Yeah. Um, one part of this, and it's a, at the very end, I did find um, uh, transgender representation in comics, which I understand, even if it was there, it, it probably is, you know, few and far between compared to cisgender content. Yes. But I was pleased, and, uh, uh, oh gosh, Wish? No, what was their name? Hold on one sec. I, I should have, I actually didn't put this as a note, even though I meant to. Um Oh gosh, I'll find it as we go. But but um, so transgender and transgender creators and transgender uh, yeah. content in queer comics, would there be like a nice like if you were going to do another volume of this, yeah. let's say, yeah, would that be an area that you could focus on? And and do you have some good like oh go see this, oh go check this out, or you know yeah. from what you know, yeah, actually that is that is one of the one of the areas that I would that I would kind of rework a, a bit. Um, basically. Um, you know, trans comics really get going in the early 2000s um, with, you know, Dylan Edwards, uh, Gina Kamensky, uh, Tristan Crane. Um, all that work just starts kind of building, right? It starts snowballing. Oh, yeah. Isn't that, that's uh, Mish, an Israeli uh, cartoonist. Yes. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And um, there's uh, so all that stuff starts to build, right? Um, uh, really starts snowballing in the, uh, in the early 2000s. And by the, you know, 
in 2010s really gets going. And I think trans comics now are really one of the most uh, exciting um, uh, areas in comics uh, entirely. I mean, there's some of the incredible work being done. Like Bishak Salm just came out with her new book. Um, there's just incredible work being done right now in trans comics. Um, but uh, what I should have done is, uh, so the, really the first trans comic that I found um, by, or I should say a kind of a comic about the trans experience from an openly trans person um, was um, uh, David Kotler's I'm Me from Gay Comics number three, I believe in 1982. I may be getting those slightly off, but- um, That's pretty good I, reference though, either way. <laughs> it's a three page story and it's lovely. And I, you know, looking back, I should have put it in the book because it was too important not to. And um, I kind of missed the boat on that. And the other thing is I should have also included Diana Green who came in at, in the mid nineties, 1995, she began Tranny Towers, um, which was uh, first in, uh, in the pages of, uh, I think it was Trans Sisters Magazine and Lavender Pages and then also Gay Comics. I, I think she started in Gay Comics. So um, she had that series for uh, a couple of years. Um, and so I, I really, if, if I was gonna do it again, I'd go back and, and pay homage to those two pioneering works. Um, but again, Trans Comics didn't really get going until the 2000s. No, and I think that's that's you know obviously that's oh, fair and and oh go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> not to be too geeky here, but one of the one of the fascinating things historically is actually that um, you know you almost in almost in every case the underground or alternative independent comics do things first and then the mainstream catches up, right? Uh, I mean across the board in terms it's certainly in terms of identity politics, um, but trans uh, materials actually sort of different. Um, where the first uh, really most important um, uh, trans character created by an openly trans creator is Rachel Pollack's um, Coagula from the, uh, the pages of Doom Patrol. She took over Doom Patrol from Grant Morrison in 1993 okay. and created Coagula, who's uh, Kate Godwin, um, and she's this uh, a trans woman uh, uh, superhero. And it's, you know, uh, uh, Rachel Pollack is one of my favorite people in the world. She's actually my writing mentor. I went to graduate school to to, um, to uh, study with her, oh, wow. and so and she's you know like one of the smartest women on the planet. Um, so she uh, created this character, and it's just you know has this amazing moments of like there's this great uh, scene where where Kate is talking to um, uh, to Robot Man, whose his body's been destroyed, and it's just his head is sitting on a table, and she's and he he's saying to her like you're not a real woman, and she's like. You know, you're you're a disembodied head, a metal head on a thing on a table, and you're telling me you're a man though. So how how are you a man? Like, and it and just this like it, the the sequence takes up several pages, but it just completely deconstructs gender and identity in 1993 in a superhero comic. That's amazing. Right? And yeah, you don't ever get that, right? That's no, awesome. it's amazing. Ah, oh, well, I'm gonna have to go check that out. I actually have Morrison's Doom Patrol omnibus and i i've been watching the new or the new now the not new but uh the doom patrol series and it's like i need to get back and go through all that morrison stuff yeah but, uh, I, I will well, say i will say that that burn immediately after john burn took it over after rachel he immediately killed off the, the trans character along with a bunch of other characters but uh, of course so um when you were going through and preparing all this obviously you said you've done a lot of work prior with your with the the art shows in, in san francisco but you know like with the process of finding all this stuff like what did you, uh, you know, in collating it and just going through all of it, what did you like learn from that experience as far as your own uh, creator work? So did you 
pick up any ideas or did you you kind of say you know i based on sort of what i'm seeing i'm going to focus on this now is anything like that come up from that experience uh for, for my own work yeah that's interesting um i, I think it, it was uh, uh, one of the big revelations for me was the the extent of the material coming out of the of the punk subculture um kind of in the 80s and 90s um it really starts off queer core or homo core starts off with the JDs, uh, which is Bruce LaBruce and uh, GB Jones uh, created the zine uh, out of Toronto, uh, queer punk zine. And, and there was sort of early cartoonists that, that started off even as early as that zine itself, like Anonymous Boy. And then you get people like Rob Kirby and Diane DeMassa um, you know, with Hada Paisan that really come out of this um, uh, punk zine culture. Um, and that stuff was, it's funny because I was actually a squat punk at, or I was living in a squat in New York and Alphabet City, um, you know, doing lots of heroin and like being a freaking squat punk. So, um, but I didn't really know about that material until I started researching it. And uh, that was cool to see like, okay, um, there was a certain kind of vibrancy and like uh, anger um, and uh, sort of immediacy to that work, visceral, you know, visceral kind of qualities to, the, to that work that I found really engaging. And like, um, I mean, that's true of the underground stuff as well, but it, there was this, just a, that little punk and extra energy to it. Um, so I definitely was inspired by that. And I, I tried to take that into, back into my own work. Well, and so like, you know, to that, uh, I, I also got a chance to go back through, again, probably one of my favorite, I think we talked about this before we started recording, but the Hard to Swallow anthology with uh, you and uh, Davenport, uh, Dave Davenport, uh, and, and other creators as well. But um, one of the pieces in there actually, I think, deals with... Oh, I'm, I'm, mix, I'm mixing it up. I'm thinking of a different piece from Queer, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, but I know you have, in some of your work, talked about your past and sort of some of the, the, the drugs and the... I think from this, my favorite's Buffet. Uh, which I don't remember if it had drug reference. It probably did have some, but... Oh, yeah, like, no, yeah, there was drugs too, yeah. I mean, that, that really wasn't the point, but it was there. Yeah, but, yeah, um, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> but, I mean, you 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 bring in some really, like, hardcore, uh, great erotica and also things that have, you know, your experience. I think the one, I, one that's coming to my mind, uh, Birthday Fuck, uh, I don't think this is, uh, we're, we're going to give this the explicit tag. I feel like, uh, was an amazing true story that I'm like, no, that just does not happen. So, so I, I don't know if we want to go too big into this, but as a, as a thing to uh, maybe look for in here, talk about like, uh, working as a, as a masseuse. Masseur, what's the preferred uh, licensed uh, ther physical therapist? Like, what's what's the best title? so so masseuse is the feminine term, masseur oh. is the masculine term. However, if you uh, those both of those terms tend to be associated with sex work. So if it's just therapeutic, I would say massage therapist is probably massage the therapist. That's yeah. what I'm. So um, yeah, so so talk about that one story. Um, and I mean, it really happened. You you really had th that wasn't me. That was oh, actually that wasn't you. No, that was a friend of mine. Oh, oh, I miss. Okay, so it was a true story, yes. but it wasn't you. Okay, okay. So, but it's still so I, a great story. Thank you. So I started. It's uh, it's interesting. I was doing um, I was doing a series uh, before that called True Travel Tales. Um, I spent. I was obsessed with travel, and spent basically years on the road with a backpack. Um, I've been to probably seventy five countries. Wow. Um, 
and just so I, I kind of and you know mostly in the developing nations and I you know just yeah and so I would make comics as I was traveling as well like I would you know hold myself up in some little shack in Lao you know on the Mekong and like with for a dollar a day you know and like and I would you know have my inks with me which were always exploding in my bag and and I would just draw comics and then collect them when I got home and put them into these true travel tales, which I, at some point I, I need to collect that stuff. It's almost all out of print. I had, um, one of them was in um, the Houghton Mifflin Best American Comics. So that one's still kind of around, but but most of them are, are really- I had of- a hard time. I looked a little bit for those. Um, yeah. And I think there was some random website I'd never heard of that had like a single issue. Oh. Uh, I'll have to find the link and send it to you. But like, yeah, I was like, oh man, I, yeah. I'm a, I love traveling myself. I haven't gotten oh. 75 countries, but- um, I would love to, you know, revisit those. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I need to figure out a way to, to get them reprinted um, or to do a collection. Um, so, uh, but I, I really like these sort of memoir pieces and, and biographical pieces and uh, nonfiction uh, comics. And uh, then Dave uh, contacted me and Davey is one of my kind of oldest, you know, dearest friends from San Francisco. And he's an amazing artist, a tattoo artist as well as a comic book artist. And uh, I always wanted to work with him. And then he contacted me. He was like, all right, I'm ready. Let's do a comic series together. I was like, yes, all right. He's like, well, but I want it to be erotica. I was like, what? Uh, okay. You know, like, I, it honestly hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, why not? So, so, all right, sure. And, I'm, and it's interesting. I'm really glad that I did that because I'm proud of that work. But, um, but it also taught me a bunch of things as a cartoonist. Um, it made me, like, I was so into that sort of indie comic style where you're like, Everything you you know pull back from you know the, the camera's really far back and you like you and you know character it's, everything's very kind of flat and detached and it's a very kind of indie comics from that time period uh, that sort of um, you know uh, Chester Brown and like you know um, and uh, you can't do that with porn like you gotta like you gotta do you gotta do the splash page right you gotta do you gotta do the money shot <laughs> so, so I like learned how to do like double page spreads and big splash pages and big dramatic shots and. And, you know, slow things down. I was looking to, a lot to manga and specifically to the work of Gengar Otagame, um, who at that point was completely unknown in, in the United States. So I was like, I'll just imitate this guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could pick it, yeah, a worse. Fire. Yeah, that, that's a good, good role model, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, um, and no one will ever know. Of course, now he's, you know, he's huge in the States. But, um, but um, yeah, I, so I was... You know, uh, learning a lot basically by um, by doing erotica. Um, but then I but I wanted to then incorporate. Um, so I did uh, some fantasy pieces. I did a, a, a pirate story and stuff. But um, I really wanted to incorporate my interest in nonfiction and a memoir with erotica. So I essentially thought of a lot of my stories in Hard to Swallow as essentially kind of mashups of of porn and uh, nonfiction, either memoir or biographical work, which is what I was doing with True Travel Tales. So um, uh, with Berlin Buffet, which was created, you know, years later, we, we did the series, David, David and I did the series for, I think, four years, three or four years. And then, um, and then we collected it, you know, kind of 10 years later, basically, and did extra material for it. And so Berlin Buffet was a, a later piece. And it was, I was just trying to be experimental. And, um, I, you know, talk about, uh, one of the things I'm fascinated with is how, we as gay men have sort of sex lives that are are really sort of hidden and secret, uh, even from very well-meaning allies, right? Um, uh, that 
even you know even people who are totally cool with you know my gayness and or you know uh, and I don't know the gory details. <laughs> they, they don't understand. They don't understand that you can go on an app and like get laid within an hour. They you do know, now and, more. They do like you know after you know Grinder and then now what is it? All the apps for straight people, whatever they're called. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Tinder. But but no, like yeah. When when those were coming out, when we were using them, I mean, I certainly was on a few of them. Like yeah, they didn't. They had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then certainly things like you know, but like a sex club, like a sex club in Berlin, where you go there and just like fucking get fucked for like hours. Like, I, so, I mean. I had to find the right page to show because I'm not sure entirely who our audience is, but I actually really, I think you captured the spirit of, uh, of that club and of what potentially would go on there or like a bathhouse uh, with this piece. And, and I also love the format because you do a great job of, of just, you know, you've got that single like male figure in the, in the, in the background. But then you have great prose, uh, you know, boxes throughout with occasional other little smaller vignettes about food. And so, you know, you're cementing the theme with the title, but you're also kind of talking sort of about your travel a little bit, you know, with the food you've experienced there. So I love that it all kind of came together in that in that piece that worked out really well. Thank you. That really does. You just made my day like because it's you're never quite sure if an experiment is going to kind of land, you know. Um, and those are, those are each page, the, the background of each page is a different parts of my body. So I wanted to kind of like present myself in this sort of vulnerable way. Um, and then also, but then not show the sex, but simply write about it. Um, and then add this elements of the food. So, um, but in, in terms of the, um, uh, you mentioned, you know, the, uh, birthday fuck, that was a friend of mine who's a sex worker. Um, and I, I was actually a massage therapist for many years, okay. Um, okay, yeah. up until COVID, basically. But I, w- I was not a not a sexual massage therapist. Um, I have done little bits of sex work in the past, but it, it never really too much. Um, I was a I, I did porn. That was um, I heard, and I I, I was I, again. Oh, so we have a bunch of people in the chat. I'll I'll, I'll bring up here in a second uh, until you can see who's here. But yeah, Bill Zanowitz is also in the chat. Mentioned that you know, you were, you had done some stuff, and I was like. Really? You'll have to, like, you know, if it's still around? (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it it, it would not, it would, you would know, you would understand that, that, I mean, I did it, you know, over 10 years ago, so I look very different, but, um, but you would know immediately uh, by the name that I used that it was me. I'll put it that way. Oh, it's a, oh good. It's a reference, the name. Oh, oh, excellent. This is a quest now. You've made this a quest. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm still looking for that piece now. I wanted to find a page, but while, while we have a second, let me just. Uh, quick, you know, uh, you know, down here in the little uh, lower third, we got Bill. Of course, two epic beards on my screen right now. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, stroking. Um, John Westoff, who uh, actually was looking for the title and the link to the to the book to No uh, Straight Lines, which I shared in the chat, okay. so they cool. can go find that. That's still out there. You can obviously, like you said, it's still in print. You can get yeah. that. Um, one of our buddies, James Figueredo, uh, always a pleasure seeing him show up and and check out our uh, our crazy <laughs> streams, and then. A blast from my past to I've actually never gotten to meet in person, even though he came to Orlando and I was there and it didn't happen from all the way from way down under Dean R. Curry, who someday it's going to happen. We're going to meet. But um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so we were talking before the, the recording, like, you know, queer comics and erotica, they, they do kind of have a very intimate relationship. Yeah. 
um, not an exclusive one because straight guys, straight people have queer comics or straight, they have queer comics. Straight people have erotica as well, yes. but erotic comics. But um, and that's a long tradition of that. But yeah. what do you um, what do you think about queer comics and erotica right now? Because we're at an inflection point to some extent. We have the culture uh, normalizing, so like sex clubs and swinger mm-hmm. things. All these things are becoming a little more like known about, normalized, and and even like gay bars becoming kind of gentrified. Like the the edges kind of come off in yeah. a lot of these spaces we have. Um, with the comics as well, like we're getting a lot more mainstream attention. So how do we find a kind of carve our own space again so we can go back and have that queer indie erotica or, or non erotica comics. Right. Like, how do you see that evolving? Is it all going to be through Tumblr or Twitter, not Tumblr anymore, Twitter and Instagram, or are we going to have like actual, I don't know. Where do you see that going? I, mean, I, I hope that we will continue to have print um, uh, erotica, you know, print porn comics. Um, uh, I, but I'm sure a lot, you know, so much of it is obviously going to go to the web and has been going to the web because it's a, just the, uh, it requires so little resources to get it out there, and of course, less censorship and uh, problems with that. So, although of course there are censorship, there's, you know, there are a lot of censorship problems on the web as well. I mean, I'm not I'm not a web comics uh, expert by any means, but um, I, I I think you're right that it'll continue to increasingly go digital. A lot of this material, um, and that the uh, erotic comics will sort of lead the way um, for a lot of that. Um, but I, I guess I would say in terms of queer. Like kind of queer spaces with erotic comics. I mean, one of the things that Davey and I wanted to do with Hard to Swallow was to um, create erotic comics that were interesting. And th- this is something I, uh, every every semester with my students, there's this one moment with my students that I'll bring in a big stack of porn comics and slam it on the table and just say like, <laughs> and say, look, you know, sex and desire is are one of the most important, you know, profundities of the human existence. And one of the great mysteries of, of life, and there it's as important as birth and death and all the great mysteries, right? So, we should be making great art about this stuff. Um, and too often, uh, porn comics are boring and sort of don't challenge anything. But you can have, you know, porn comics and erotica that is hot and also interesting and challenging, and and get at these like essential, profound, you know, ultimate mysteries about human sexuality. Um, and also that, you know, you should never let someone else colonize your sexual space, right? So that especially if you're a woman, a queer person, a person of color, but whoever you are, make your own erotica, make pornography, because, you know, don't let someone else, like, create your, your erotica for you, make your own, and people will love you for it if you're authentic with that work. And, and you know, my students are always kind of like, you know, jaws drop and like, <laughs> like this is the professor telling us to make porn. But, but, I mean, I really believe that. I think it's a profoundly... Uh, important progressive and kind of feminist thing to do is to make make good porn uh, in the world. So, well, it's it's all about representation, right? Because yeah. unfortunately, a lot of the sexual representation, uh, even into the '90s and early 2000s, is just so very vanilla, basic. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's happening, and yeah, there's a lot of it happening, but the, you're you're totally missing all of the other gray areas and permutations that are out there both for practice and for, for, for gender and, and other representation. Like there's just so many uh, varieties that, that you're not seeing. Yeah. And you can, you can really play with that stuff in comics as a, as a medium. So uh, one of the stories I have in Hard to Swallow is called Fluid. And it's um, this, uh, this femme dyke 
that I uh, met when I was doing porn. She was uh, writing uh, gay male porn reviews under a, a male pseudonym at the time. And she said, look, I, every once in a while, I will you know, strap my tits down and put boy drag on, and I'll go to the back of the powerhouse bar, which is a local leather bar in San Francisco, and suck guys off in the back. And I was like, wow, you're a femme lesbian. Like, why would you do that? And she said, you know, there was just this time when I was you know, really fascinated by um, the sort of extroverted nature of and just immediacy of gay male sexuality and I just wanted to be part of it. And she said at one point she got caught and, uh, and this guy realized it was a woman sucking him off and he got even more turned on by how transgressive that was. You know, she was turned on by how transgressive it was for her as a woman to go and, and do this. But then he got turned on by the fact that he was being sucked off by a woman in this, in this male, male only space. And so I made that, I just found it fascinating. You know, every time you think you've got sexuality figured out, this, some other thing's gonna come around the corner and shake up your beliefs. Um, but, but, I also wanted, but I also wanted to make it, so I wanted to make this story challenging and interesting, but also really hot. And so I was able to draw some really, hopefully really sexy cocksucking scenes. At the same time, um, uh, really get at these, these notions about gender and sexuality. And it's something that like, would be almost impossible to do with a film. Oh, right, no. like if you tried to do a, a, a porn film and you, you know, you uh, adding those levels of complexity would just pop the reader out of the out of the immediacy of it. Yeah, I'm trying to again find the right shot here, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so so evidently that's a thing, and it's called Riot Girls, is what I I found out earlier. Um, and and so it is a known thing. It's not just this one, ex, you know, one off, ex, you know, thing. But but no, you do. And and so okay. So I've had a lot of conversations lately about this and about erotica as a written form, and erotica as it's depicted on like TV. So take for example Lovecraft Country, okay? Yeah. Which we're not going to unpack all about that. It's a great show. Check it out. But there is so much erotica in mm. the DNA of even that kind of show, or yeah. like a, a Game of Thrones or yeah. other things that is depicted very viscerally and like, and, and what otherwise in movies and other, other media, you wouldn't be able to necessarily get away with, it. but they don't call it erotica. It's yeah. just, Oh, it's, it's sci-fi. It's fantasy. It's, 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 it's whatever. HBO. It's HBO. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. It is its own genre into itself. Right. Yeah. But like with comics, if you go a little bit past that, like, Oh, they're hooking up and then the lights go out and whatever you're writing like, Porn. And it's like, it's so funny because you, you go, but, but no, that's not way, that's not how we define porn in other, in video and, and, and any other media. <laughs> so there's like this weird standard with, with what we think is appropriate comics. And it's probably partly because of course the whole, you know, Tencent plague and all that era with the, you know, comics code and, you know, how comics are supposedly a ch childish medium and all that, but, or sequ actually sequential storytelling is, you know, childish, but, yeah. but like it's, it's, it's so long since that era that it's amazing. We're still trapped in that. Yeah. Yeah. Structure. No, that's, that's, that's very true. The, um, I mean, you know, comics are right. They're so still associated with children's uh, material and they will be for a long time. Um, unfortunately, and we're still pissing out the final toxins of the comics code, you know, even years after it's not being used anymore. Um, and, uh, but, but then also the fact that it's a visual storytelling medium, right? So you can get away with, you know, describing in prose a certain sexual act, um, any, any kind of sexual act, and it not be considered X-rated, right? That the prose, but if you, if you show, if you depict it and illustrate it, that's another, you know, um, visually, then that's another kind of level for people. So, so I, I, 
been frustrated at times about this double standard where <clears throat> prose, prose writers and poets can get away with extremely sexual imagery and it not be considered uh, erotica or not be censored, and whereas cartoonists uh, can't because it's visual. Um, but I would, I would say the difference between it and uh, film, which is of course visual storytelling as well, is that comics demand a certain kind of interactivity. Um, it's, it's a more difficult medium to consume, right? <clears throat> uh, consuming film, uh, of course, I'm sure film theorists will probably argue with me, but they're wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a more passive experience, right? The, the director is, is telling you at what speed to, um, to consume this, me this media, um, you know, how to kind of go about it. Um, whereas comics, it's, it's an allegorical language about time and space and a static, and a static page. And so that plasticity, that sort of allegorical distance between the, the experience of time and, and its depiction allows for like, um, you know, tremendous opportunities, um, but it also demands um, stuff of the reader. So, but that, that in, in porn in particular, that offer, offers up all these opportunities that the reader can inject, so to speak, uh, their own erotic imagination into the gutters, right? And into the spaces um, delineated by the cartoonist. And that's really remarkable. It's very different than film. Because, you know, speaking as someone who's done porn films, um, when you cut from one scene to the other, that's a very unsexy moment where they're like, the director yells cut, and like the, you know, you come, someone comes over with a glass of apple juice to get your blood sugar up, and then they, they move the, the lights underneath your balls, and like, okay, we gotta get this other shot over here, and like, all right, everybody gets set up. Okay, five minutes of fucking in this position. Okay, here we go. Uh, so, <laughs> Um, not to destroy the, the mystery here, but totally uh, ruined it. I'll never watch porn again. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. But the, um, whereas in comics, you, you, so you're not encouraged to imagine the space between the one scene and the next one uh, that they, they cut between. But in comics, you're encouraged to, right? When Gagar Otagami uh, draws this, um, one panel and then another panel next to it, you are encouraged to imagine the transition from that panel to that and inject your own erotic imagination into that. And that's, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's 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 no medium really does that. It's it's other than com other storytelling. I mean, that is I, I preach about this to my friends who are like, eh, comics not my thing. It's like, no. yeah, but wait, you <laughs> get to do so much, and some people that's that's too much for them. They don't want that. Yes, um, and certainly there's a spectrum, so you don't have to. You can provide more, and, and anyway, but yeah, yeah I, I love that about the medium, and I I totally understand that. It makes it it makes more sense that yeah. it would be more an intimate experience with the reader. Yeah, and you can also it also allows for more um, 
uh, kind of mashups where you can do something like have a joke or have like a challenging moment and, and then go back to the fucking um, and it not feel like you're, you know, popping the reader out of the experience too much. Whereas in a film, that's going to be more difficult. If, yeah. you know, uh, pornography and erotica is also a sort of unique genre because there's this expectation of an, a physical act to go along with it, which is masturbation. And that doesn't have to actually be true. I mean, a, a lot of people just read or watch pornography or, or erotica in order to kind of stimulate their erotic imagination ways that they can use later. Um, but um, but oftentimes it is directly for masturbation. And so, um, but uh, for film, that's re that really limits what you can do with film, right? Because all the directors are terrified of like, you know, having having uh, folks lose their, uh, their masturbatory experience. Whereas in comics, you can be like, you can have a joke or you can have a, a weird kind of moment happen, but then the, the reader can just flip back to the pa the, pa the panel that they're really into or the page they're really into and zero in on that and, and obsess over that if they want to uh, or move on. You know, the, their, their ability to interact with the material and get what they want out of it, whether it's masturbatory or, or uh, other concerns. Yeah, and like I said, I, I think that's that's a unique property and, and, and a delightful thing for, for comic book fans, obviously. We love doing that. But um, I want to move on a little bit to some other things that you've done. Uh, and this isn't, you know, your editorial product, uh, Queer Queer, from uh, Kirby, Rob Kirby. But your work is featured in it. And actually, I think this was one of the ones I read more recently, uh, Seductive Summer. And I think the problem I had is, not the problem I had with the piece, but the, 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 the misunderstanding about the other work is that you, yeah, you said you're an uh, LMT and you do like, you know, a little massage work in this. But um, but what I loved about this is the honesty uh, and the experience that I think some of us have had. I, I, I say this not as myself. I've had, I've never been in, you know, not, not love with a straight person, but I've never had to navigate sexuality for somebody so intimately as you did in this situation. Um, but it's, it's, it's very common and, and a lot of people have stories uh, especially uh, uh, usually with heartbreak, you know, involved. And um, so, so yeah, I, I really, uh, and then set in Providence. I, I know you talked about grad school. So did you, what, what where, where were you, why were you in Providence? I'm, I'm a fan of Rhode Island. I go there a lot or I've been there a lot. So oh, that's awesome. No, I, I grew up in Providence. I'm a townie. Oh, oh, you've okay. lost the accent at this point. I mean, that's kind Wicked of, Hacker, I'm Wicked Hacker. <laughs> yes. Oh, Okay, if anyone's never been to Rhode Island, it's the smallest state, right? Or is Delaware? Which which one is Rhode Island's the smallest? I think Delaware's uh, Rhode like Island's the smallest in terms of a little of bigger, but not much. So yeah, if you've never been there, let me tell you about the. Everything's got its own name. The accent's unique, <laughs> um, but it is magical. It is a magical place of lots of lots of the ocean and and and, and it's just just it's it's it's. I love it. I, I really do love it. Yeah. Providence is also a fun queer city. Yeah. Um, you know, not the most, but it, it's got it's got some great moments, you know, and, yeah. and compared to what else is around, there's not yeah. a lot. We, have, we, uh, had a, we have a lot of guys coming down from Boston to, to hang out in Providence because it was more fun. Yeah. And, and, and the drag scene there is pretty great. And the, they had an eagle. I know they lost the eagle. So that's a whole thing. But, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah. So so it, this is this is a true story from your life then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's um, kind of t it took place when I was actually uh, going to school and. New York, and then as I was leaving, um, uh, leaving school, I, I I hooked up with this guy who, I, I think now looking back at it, I think he was actually straight and sort of um, uh, there's some mental illness problems going on, and um, and he but he like told me that he was you know in love with me and he 
came to Providence with me. And then we all, <laughs> there was six of us all living in a three bedroom apartment and none of us had any money. So, so like there was no light, there was no electricity. It was like, Oh my God. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bohemian living. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, it, everything went, you know, very badly. Um, and I, and it was trauma that I kind of like, I, I was single for six years after that. I really, um, it was awful. The guy, he, um, uh, he started hearing voices coming from behind the, the, uh, bathroom door at one point and, um, uh, saying that they wanted to kill him. And, um, and then he, he, uh, broke up with me, moved into the other room and, and would sleep. He uh, broke a banister pole off of the, uh, pole off the banister and, and would sleep with it by his bed, uh, because he was convinced that I was going to come in and steal his writing in the middle of the night. And, um, and it was one of those situations where like, I thought if I could kind of love him enough that I would, and it was, uh, that was never going to happen. So, um, it, it took me many years to, to actually be able to tackle the subject of this, of this disastrous relationship. Um, and, um, uh, it was interesting. It was actually um, uh, Alison Bechdel that sort of like uh, made it possible for me. I was spinning and spinning, and I, I just couldn't figure out a voice for it. And um, then I, I kind of looking at Fun Home and, again and realizing that the sort of meta narrative where the the you know Alison is able to talk about the work that she's making. Um, and so I added a narrative voice that was really that tried to do that. And and so the the piece is both one of my favorite pieces, I, uh, but also like also deeply unsuccessful in some very fundamental ways. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated piece for me. It's maybe my favorite, but also I think maybe the most flawed, if that makes sense. So wh why, why do you say that? Um, I, I never, I'm, I don't think it ever quite lined up. Like I feel like it was still scattered in ways that that uh, I think are, can be kind of interesting and exciting to read, but but frustrate me from a narrative point of view. Um, that um, uh, that I, I never completely figured it out, uh, if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I'd have to look, go back and kind of reread. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I I just read it this morning too. Okay. Uh, I I don't get that from a reader's perspective, but okay. I understand that from the from your crafting the story and storytelling perspective that you know that's a different uh, perspective. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it it works, and I, again, I feel like it's very honest, and it, it really captures. There's a moment in it um, that's got some interesting, like kind of mixed media that kind of took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas most of it's just uh, your your you know pencil and ink, um, and I wanted to like at least mention that. But um, do you remember what I'm talking about? It's like. It's a collage moment, right? Collage moment. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that that was the only thing in the story that, like, you know, not stood out, but like, it, it definitely caught my attention because it's a, yeah. it's a tonal shift. Yeah. Um. Do, I mean, was that part of what you were trying to like? What 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 motivated you to like kind of work that in? Like, what was the the thought there? How did you or why did you decide to change that yeah. tone uh, for that? I I was making a lot of a lot of uh, collages at that time, kind of compulsively. So that was actually just kind of what I. That was what it was. Like, I mean, I, I literally took one of those collages from that time period, um, and and just put it into the piece. Um, so I, I wanted to, yeah. So it, was, it felt like realism to me, which you know, and, and I knew that it wouldn't read that way exactly to a reader uh, because they wouldn't have that experience with it. But for me, that it, that sort of aesthetic and the, the, those kind of collages, I was making obsessively for for years. Um, oh, wow. So it it felt like it was 
bringing all, all those emotions for me as, as the creator. Um, so it felt real in that way. Um, but I, I tried to do, I tried to be as honest as possible. I mean, honesty is, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I do try to be as honest as possible with memoir in particular, because, uh, or I mean, what does honesty mean? What does truth mean? It's complicated, but like, I guess vulnerable and, and authentic. Like uh, truth is whatever. Like you know, like right. the the one character uh, Melissa is actually an amalgam of three different roommates that I had. Right. But for so, for storytelling, you got to sometimes yeah. simplify. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Right. Like uh, I don't care that that's not true. Right. Um, what what I care about is the authenticity of the experience, and and uh, as long as I can nail that. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and so so kind of going for that, and I wanted to, but I also want to be vulnerable and kind of. So I, I have this moment of me cruising a, a park, you know. Oh, uh, I love that. I love that because you're 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 kind of vague about it in certain respects as far as you're describing the experiences. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't I don't want to steal your thunder, but you do something with uh, the the visual that I, I had not seen in this context before, but I think we all understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about that? Because I, I feel like any of our audience on here who's ever hooked up or cruised, um, this 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 has meaning. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting also because I feel like it's a generational thing to a certain extent. Like, um, you know, younger guys, pro you know, probably have never done this. You know, they're they're going to be on the apps, right? So That's why true. would they why would they cruise a park? Like, I would I would put on a big coat and I would like go down to the essentially the kind of you know the area by the river, and uh, which was a park, and and the cars would drive up, and I'd walk up and like check a guy out and see if they, you know, if I wanted to get in the car or not. Um, and so I have this thing where I kind of looked at, look at them, look at him, and he has no face, right? Because yeah, everybody, yeah, becomes sort of faceless, you know. I, um, I love that though, because again, it, it's verisimilitude. Obviously, in this moment, the cartooning is not about the realism. It's not about verisimilitude. It's about the experience, the tone, the emotion, the memory. It's, it's just, I, I, there's so many cool things you do with cartooning that a good cartoonist should know and should have that experience. And and you know you're deploying them in this piece. So you know again, I I, I commend that because Thank you. I, I think again that's what elevates. I mean, this one isn't as much erotica. I mean, there's some sex, but it's very you know, um, but like it, it elevates the material to have those moments to have those. Those yeah. those tools in your in your uh, in your archive or in your archive yeah. in your in your tool set whatever whatever metaphor we want to do for tools but yeah I so I again I really think it's a great piece and in, in this work I mean again this is uh, Rob Kirby's uh, product came out from uh, Northwest yeah, Press yeah. Um, if you can still find it I don't know I mean I don't know if Zan still has any copies but there's a, a lovely uh, Sasha Valour comic in it which I actually got to have her sign. Oh, I good. put two yeah. and two together uh, that she yeah. had done. So I, I love it. It's a great, it's a, it's a nice compendium in some ways to your no straight lines because yeah. it's kind of the, okay, we have that. And now this is going forward. Yeah. And so this and the next piece I want to talk about, I love that this is continuing and that we're still getting these anthologies. So um, I'm going to do screen share for this. Cause I didn't get a physical copy. <laughs> uh, oh, hold on. That's not the right one. Hold on. I can at least, yeah, I can at least show that. You got one handy there? Boom. <laughs> there we go. So, okay. I I know I probably read this at some point, and I forgot. So, nope. pardon me. What's wrong? You there? Brian, I think I lost you there. Uh-oh. Am I back? Oh, yeah, uh, you're back. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it may, I blame the screen share. <laughs> um, 
so so I, I, I probably read this in the intro and I, I've since forgotten because I actually this this I did not revisit today, but I read this when it you know it came out. What? How did this germinate? You, you got Peaches Christ involved, and, and I, I mean, you know, she's San Francisco as well, I believe, correct? So I yeah, mean, yeah. very San Francisco. <laughs> how did this all, you know, come about, and and what led you to want to undertake this uh, queer horror anthology comic? Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I like, I really enjoy doing the community building stuff of, um, of these anthologies. So I, um, I think it was, so it was, it, it, um. I had also just worked with um, Jennifer Camper uh, putting together this Queers and Comics conference uh, in New York and then San Francisco. So I was meeting this kind of new generation of, of queer cartoonists that were not in No Straight Lines, for example, kind of too young for that. So I, uh, but I also, but I wanted to now do a, a, a anthology that incorporated some of the old timers. Um, so it's, this is actually the last place that Howard Cruz was ever published before he died. Uh, is in this book, and then and Lee Mars, and you know a couple of the other old timers, and then people from my generation, and then you know really y young creators, um, uh, some of my students actually, <laughs> a bunch of my students, um, and um, uh, and so you know, but I, but the the concept was just it felt like really fun, like it felt like horror. I you know I'm not a normally a particularly like a huge horror fan, but but horror was increasingly becoming um, a, a place that was very queer and uh, experimental. And uh, Peaches Christ is the horror drag queen, right? She's like, you know, this like remarkable um, legend, legendary queen in, in San Francisco. And so uh, I, you know, I went to her and I was like, look, let's just have you as a horror hostess as, as the crypt keeper. She would rather say Elvira, but, um, <laughs> and, um, uh, and then have you, you know, kind of uh, with the overarching story, kind of introducing all these different stories. Uh, and I'm really, Happy it came out, and then I brought on uh, William O. Tyler um, to help out, and so he uh, co-edited it with me. Uh, and we brought in all these different creators. Um, I wrote four of the pieces, and I illustrated one of them. Yeah, I can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. I I I have the screen share. I'm trying to find the the Howie Cruz piece, but yeah, it's it's um William O. Tyler Tyler. I love his stuff. No, uh, I actually no. wanted to talk about John Macy a little bit at some point. Because yeah. I know he uh, he did a backup for him for Fearful Hunter, yeah. that is one of my favorite uh, of John's you know stuff. But um, yeah. I did another one. I did a backup for that as well. Oh oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, of course. Um, yeah. And another one I have to revisit because it's been a, in a little bit. But um, I, I I just I love I love the one page sort of here. I'll I'll do a quick little uh, screenshot there. Yeah. Oops, that's not it. There we go. That, how about that one? There we go. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, who did those pieces? Um, Michael Wirtz, who's, uh, so I teach at the California College of the Arts in the MFA and Comics program. Um, but then Michael is the, one of the chairs of the illustration department at, oh. uh, at CCA. And he's, he works a lot with, with Peaches. So, um, with Peaches Christ. So, oh, wow. um, when he, when he heard I was doing this, he he really wanted to do something. And I was like, oh, I could have you as the interstitial pages and the, and the, the end papers, which are so amazing. Right. Um, by the way, th these end papers, um, uh, this this one uh, this one uh, costume designer actually made an entire dress for Peaches Christ during at the at the opening of the um, uh, the, the book launch. Peaches Peaches came in this like huge elaborate ball gown made entirely out of that material. Uh, material. Oh my gosh! It was it, and then bedazzled as well. It was stunning. Sure. <laughs> She's amazing. I I've yet to see her in person. 
Yeah. But uh, it, it, it's one of those things now that I'm a West Coast person, I might might be able to, you know, someday when, when, when the, the normal times are back, uh, we can travel again. Yeah. Oh, I love but it was, I, I was really, like I was able to, you know, and I wanted to bring different kinds of creators. So not only just different generations, but also like everything from, you know, Phil Jimenez, who, who did the cover art and he's very much a mainstream creator. Uh, and uh, Mariko Tamaki did a, a piece in here and she does both indie stuff and, and mainstream stuff. Uh, she just won two Eisners. Oh, um, I know. I was so I excited for her. Oh, my God. And Tana Ford, who, who did the, the, the opening story with that I did the layouts and the and wrote and she illustrated she just won an Eisner as well. Really? Um, oh no way. I didn't even ask um, yeah, that. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um uh but so uh, everything from mainstream to kind of like the you know Howard Cruz being like this you know underground comics paragon to um yeah um and Lee Mars and then um the, uh, you know uh some of my younger students are really kind of come out of web comics and Instagram comics and at, you know one of them had never been published before. And oh. I was like, yeah, yeah, the bird tree, Jove, yeah. And then oh this. Oh my gosh, that's so. Yeah. I, 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 so I love. We haven't even talked about your academic work, but yeah. I love, I love, I love, I love nothing more than having a great creator mentor relationship, and then seeing like students who oh, yeah. have been under you and mentee or whatever, like, and go out into the world and and and, and, oh. and get ah. Such a so, rewarding so, experience. So, so this is actually very cool. In Theater of Terror, I got Rachel Pollack, who we talked about before, who is my writing mentor, right? Who had written Doom Patrol, and she's written like twenty, you know, twenty-five different fantasy and science fiction books. She's like a really amazing um, uh, writer. And so I got her to write a piece for one of my students, Maya Kobabe, who d who did uh, Genderqueer, uh, oh, the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. So Maya uh, illustrated Rachel's story with me editing. So it was three generations, three generations of us, R Rachel, me, and Maya, all kind of mentors of each other. It was just it felt so like good, you know, like it, when it just, all comes together. Oh. Yeah, just a, a line of it just felt really good. Yeah. I love this piece. I need to go back and spend more time because, again, it, it's been a little bit. Uh, I It's from Northwest. I was on the Kickstarter for this as well, but I think I just did the digital copy. I, I've pared down. I mean, you can kind of see the library back here, but it's a shell of what you. it was before the move. But um, I hear you. What, what other um, works are you doing? And then also, I, I do want to touch on your academics, uh, yeah. you know, and whatever your, your, your current research passions are. But, like, yeah. are, are you doing cartooning right now? And yeah. is there anything forthcoming that you're, you can talk about or you want to share? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've been working on this one graphic novel that Rachel helped me with um uh for a while now and it's a huge monster it's going to be over 300 pages and so it's just one of these things that's just taking a long time um and i keep on getting derailed by doing things like the film right so um but but i'm still kind of plugging away at it it's called castle and creek and it's about um basically i i uh kink.com bought out the this armory this national yes. guard armory in san francisco which is this amazing building it's like takes up like a half a block in San Francisco at 14th Emission. And it looks like a just a castle. It's like huge, you know, stone walls. And it just, it's outrageous with like, yeah. Um, and I, King.com, it was vacant for many years. Um, and then King.com bought it and was streaming internet porn from it for, for a decade. And I did a shoot there and I got just completely fixated on the, on the space, on the, on the building. And underneath the building, there's a, a creek. Called, uh, that uh, Mission Creek that runs from 
uh, the top of Bernal Heights all the way down to the bay. And wow. it's been paved over everywhere in San Francisco, except for the, the basement of the armory. It still runs free. Really? Um, yeah, and it floods out the basement during high rains. So, um, and you can still see like pock marks um, on the walls where the National Guardsmen would like use as like firing uh, practice and stuff. Um, so I have this whole like fantasy where if you die in the creek, you become a ghost. So there's a ghost from one of the 19, from one of the National Guardsmen from the 1930s. And in uh, 1930, uh, 1934, there was uh, 1938, 1934, there was a, um, um, what they call Bloody Thursday, which was a, um, a labor unrest in San Francisco that really sparks the labor movement in the United States and in, in many ways of the longshoremen. And um, uh, people die during this, right? So I've got this National Guardsman who dies and he di and, and he dies actually in the creek and so he becomes and he's a closet case so he becomes this sort of closeted ghost that's you know inhabiting this space and then the main storyline is between uh, a young guy that comes up to do porn for the first time that sort of grizzled porn daddy that kind of takes him on in a daddy boy relationship but that relationship is being haunted by this ghost uh this closeted ghost um and then i weave in other parts of san francisco history and comics history i've got a whole I've got a whole uh, kind of parody of the Golden Age Wonder Woman, uh, w which in the book is created by an underground lesbian cartoonist in the 70s um, about Wonder Woman goes back to Paradise Island and uh, Steve Trevor becomes the power sub bottom that he was always meant to be. And Eddie Candy becomes the Dom Daddy Dyke that she was always supposed to be. So, Love it. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's, and I, you know, it's just a fun it's it's really weird and really queer, and it'll, it, I'm kind of slogging away at it, right? Um, then there's the film, which again is is close to completion. I'm really excited to get out in the world. It it, it features um, uh, Alison Bechdel, uh, Howard Cruz, um, uh, Rupert Kennard, who created the first uh, queer black characters in comics, uh, Mary Wings, who created the first lesbian comic in 1973, um, and Jennifer Camper, who's you know such an amazing uh, creator. That's uh, awesome. So you're able. You were able to get Howard, and you got interviews and all that. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah, we spent so a weekend with him and, and Eddie in the at his at his home. So this this film means. I mean, obviously, I've been working on it for a long time, but but it means so much more now because of Howard's passing. Like he died last year um, in November, and I was actually teaching in in Denmark. I teach at a, a comic school there um, every year, and. I was teaching my students literally about his work when he died. And I kind of came into the classroom and I just broke down in tears in front of the students. I was like, I mean, because Howard was not only one of the greatest cartoonists ever, but he was also an unbelievably sweet man and just a good person. Like, and th those things don't always line up. No. You know? Like, uh, so I were, like, I was just talking about this last week with Andy Mangels and then how we have a problem right now that is coming to light of comics creators who were grooming young, yeah. usually women, yeah. uh, uh, they were men. And, 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 and it's, a, it's not the norm, unfortunately, to have these uh, uh, mentorships experiences in comics, uh, especially around conventions yeah. uh, that are healthy and like, actually like, you know, yeah. yeah. So I, I so, he, I'm so happy to hear that about Howard. Yeah. And he was someone who, who opened doors through his own sheer, prowess and artistic uh, just abilities, but then he would kind of kick those doors open and make sure that other people could get through, you know, it's it just amazing. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, so so I was able to, and, and this film I, I'm hoping will help cement his legacy, like, I, you know, because we have such great, great footage with him. That's so um, 
And then uh, the other thing I'm working on right now is um, uh, the city of San Francisco, the Arts, Arts Commission, um, hired me for the 50th anniversary of Pride to do a series of uh, comics posters that are going up along the bus stops along Market Street. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Awesome. And there, it's going to be um, moments of queer San Francisco history pre-Stonewall. So um, it's starting with, you know, so there's like six different moments and each, each one will be monochromatic uh, according to one of the colors of the rainbow flag. So I've got like the founding of the Daughters of Belitis, which was the first lesbian organization in 1955. Um, got the Compton's Cafeteria Riots uh, in 66, which were uh, a bunch of trans women revolted against the police harassment, and you know, three years before Stonewall um, and stuff like that. So, and also the founding of the first leather bar in San Francisco and the early leather scene. Um, so I, I'm really excited about this. Like I've been, I'm working on the last two of them now and it's, I've just been doing deep dives into San Francisco queer history and, and actually, you know, some of these people are still around. So I was able to talk with uh, Tamara, uh, Tamara Ching, who was one of the trans women um, who was uh, around Compton's Cafeteria during, uh, during those times. Um, and one of the last leather guys, uh, Mike Caffey, um, from that toolbox era. Um, so it's, it's been super exciting. And I want to do more of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so that's the stuff I'm working on right now. That's, I mean, Justin, you are so busy and I love, I love, I love hearing this, uh, especially with what's going on in the world, because, you know, there's this whole existential crisis people have about what's going on. And it's like, well, you know, if we don't know if there's tomorrow, we better get busy. You know, we got to yeah. do this. We got to, we got to get these things out there. And, and like, all of this is so rich and, and it, it what blows my mind and makes me even happier to, to finally connect with you is that you're honoring queer history in so many ways that I feel like our generation and maybe younger, they don't always connect or don't always know because a lot of it was lost from the AIDS epidemic and just uh, people getting old. And, and there's so much there to explore and know about. And like, you're, you're doing that through your comics and through your work with the city. I mean, and, and as an educator too, I mean, yeah. I Thank you. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, I feel passionately that, you know, uh, comic, both comics history and queer history tends to get, they both get swept under the rug, right? Um, or get ignored or become invisible. And, you know, if, if we're as cartoonists, we should know about the, the history of, of this art form, and which is really quite remarkable. Um, and as, you know, queer people, we should know, we, we need to know about the, the pioneers that made our lives possible now. Like, it's, it's breathtaking how far we have come. And that's because of people doing really being incredibly courageous. Yes. Um, so I definitely want to pay homage to that as much as possible. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's going to be well received by the community too. For seeing you. all this. Uh, we did have another comment and it's actually a question for you. So I want to make sure we feature it before we wrap up. Uh, and of course, you know, he corrected it uh, in a second. He, so, so Justin, what device do you have for new illustrators who want to get their work out there or standing out from the countless queer slash bear illustrators out there? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that there's, there's been such a kind of an explosion of queer comics work um, and illustration work uh, now, which, you know, again, was not true. <laughs> uh, not, not that long ago. And that's just really exciting to see. But I, I would say that in general, I, what I find uh, generally lacking is interesting narrative. So, um, so if, uh, it's one thing to be able to do like really interesting, you know, kind of uh, engaging illustrations that are exciting. And, um, but uh, what I find less uh, likely is uh, interesting narratives that really 
can uh, challenge people, can uh, make, make us think about uh, categories uh, in our identity differently, um, uh, just that have dramatic tension to them, have genuine humor to them. So I, I would encourage for cartoonists to really think about, think about the writing. You know, think about the storytelling. Uh, comics are a storytelling medium, ultimately. So um, now, and, and especially with the kind of bear stuff, uh, there's also a lot of, you know, just people just doing illustrations, and that's fantastic. And what I would suggest, and that, that is not particularly narrative, and that's also completely viable. For them, I would say, you know, really think about other influences, right? Um, uh, we tend to sort of follow the pack. Um, and a lot of the, the influences right now, particularly in bear illustration, is coming out of Japan, which is wonderful. We're just Mara talking about Tengaro Yeah, and, and we're talking about how that stuff was really unknown in the United States until fairly re recently. But now that the Bada Gekomi style has really become incredibly popular uh, globally, which is wonderful. But you know, Tagane himself was influenced by a, a cartoonist named Bill Ward, um, and who used to do. Um, a strip called Drummer in, the, in Drummer Magazine, which oh, was yeah, yeah, yeah. premier like leather magazine. And so I, you know, I was just looking over, a friend of mine and I were just uh, talking about Bill Ward and how, what a remarkable artist he was and looking over his work. Go, go back to some of that stuff. Like go to the stuff that Tagame was being inspired by. Um, you know, look at some of those early uh, cartoonists and, uh, you know, so not just Thomas Finlan who gets all the, all the kind of uh, rewards, but, but look at, you know, Chuck Arnett and Mike Caffey and, Bill Ward, um, and you know, see if you can find inspirations there, and then look beyond that to other kinds of, other kinds of work, um, and other ways to draw. There's you know, infinite amount of ways to draw sexy men, right? Um, so, but if you can, if you can kind of you know, figure out another angle to it, then that's can be really helpful. It's something that will, that will be feel authentic from your own experience. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because uh, it is easy to fall into sort of these style trends that you see, and especially with web comics, that that is yeah. very evident. Um, my, my, and, and I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I'm not a particularly good illustrator, and and I mean I, I'm okay. Right, I say, you do a fine job. You're you're mm -hmm. you're that rare combination of really talented illustrator who doesn't go showy as often, but you also have the storytelling chops. So that doesn't always. Coincide. I, I definitely think of myself more as a storyteller. I, I'm, I'm okay with illustration. I'm never going to have that sort of like innate sort of, um, you know, like when watching Phil Jimenez draw is like, okay, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother level. Um, but, but I, I, you know, I can hold my own for the kind of stories I want to, I want to uh, write for the most part. Um, but, um, uh, but the advantage to that is that I, I can't really follow any trends because all I can draw is like myself. I can't really change my style. I'm not good enough to do that. Well, at least it's so a I pleasant enough figure. I mean, Was at that? least, you know, at least a pleasant enough figure you're drawing. So it works. It works. <laughs> it's all right. Um, uh, yeah, but it was like I, I did this series called Dadville, which was a series of <laughs> illustrations uh, that I made as cards and stuff. Um, and and there, it's uh, Welcome to Dadville. And so I'll, I use kind of like um, old, uh, the old design and ty typography uh, from um, uh, those old postcards. From, you know, like welcome to Kansas or whatever, like that that kind of stuff. And I said, "Well, welcome to Dadville." And I drew all these like dad bear guys and looking kind of sexy, but you know, and that was really fun. I worked with a designer, Sonia Harris, uh, who's a dear friend of mine, and she helped me create this sort of distressed kind of you know looks like a postcard that's been like worn oh, that, yeah. that that your dad you know you find in your dad's closet, like you know, in his in his old briefcase, you know, like and you're like, "What's this, dad?" You know, like that. <laughs> 
Um, so I would so are say those collected them, somewhere, or is that just that's? Uh, yeah, you can find them on the Silver Sprocket uh, website, uh, okay. which is an indie comics publisher here in, the, in San Francisco. So look on Silver Sprocket for Dadville. Um, but uh, but I would say also to the the person who who had that question before, you know, you can think beyond just the illustration of the of the bear. Like think of give it another context, right? Like so I took my illustrations of bear bad dudes, which I think are pretty hot, but like, um, but, you know, adding this other element of like, you know, putting this, you know, putting it inside of a postcard, you know, from like the 1930s, which is really what I was going for, like that gave it an extra little, you know, something else. So you can, you can figure out ways, even if you're not doing full narratives, you can still sort of create semi-narratives, right? Yeah, I was just actually watching um, the Amazon show in from Tales from the Loop. Oh yeah, and that is based on a sort of a similar idea. I forgot the the, the person's work uh, or name, but but it was the same idea. It's images that uh, they they drew, and it sort of tells a, a sort of a story, but with very very high level loose narrative and just sort yeah. of Im, Im, image uh, imagery, you know, to suggest yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to monopolize your time. I really am so happy you've been on, and I really appreciate again all the time you've got. And when you are. When you're getting close to any of these uh, things coming out, we are going to definitely have you back because I want to talk more deep. I want to do some deep dives on queer comics history with you because I feel like it's you not... could do like a whole masterclass series. I mean, you're you're doing it obviously for your for your students, but uh, I mean these are these are these are great gems of uh, of knowledge. I I'm glad we can capture. Thank you, Brian. Because uh, I mean, I love this sort of conversation because when I start talking about like you know, the queer origins of Wonder Woman or like the first lesbian comics, like my, my poor husband is like runs. <laughs> and oh. most of my friends just go running from the room. Like they, 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 they see that glint in my eye. And they're like, oh, he's, go he's going down a rabbit hole again. Get out, get out. <laughs> it, it, it is a special gift to be able to annoy your partner with uh, geeky uh, depth. Uh, I, I think we all enjoy yeah. that in different <laughs> ways. But Justin, thank you again so much. Thank you so much. And uh, your website's, uh, is it just justinhall.com? No, uh, no, that got taken over by some oh. bot or some Russian bot or something. I don't know. But, oh, no. Um, it's it's just justinhallawesomecomics.com. And all your social media stuff is probably linked there. And yeah, all just, just yeah, it's uh, all it all links there. Justin Hall Comics and Justin Comics at Twitter. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure we get that up there. Um, and yeah, again, we're we're gonna get you back on as soon as we can. Uh, thank you again so much. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege. All right, all right. <laughs> you take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 